Let's turn to Mark chapter 2 this morning. Mark chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 23 to 28. 23 to 28. Hear the reading of God's word. It says this. One Sabbath, he, Jesus, was going through the grain fields. And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him? And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. I want to tag our text today, the way of rest. The way of rest. Let's pray before we begin. Father, as we just sung, you are the unchangeable, unshakable God. You are the one who holds the world in your hands. And so, God, as we come together today to worship you and to lift up your name, Lord, we pray that you would help us to sense your presence among us. Help us to be at rest, to be at peace in your presence. We pray whatever you would have us to hear this morning from your word, that you would speak clearly to us. Open up our ears, open up our hearts to receive your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Um, a few years ago, I think it was like six or seven years ago, I was trying to think of the timeline a couple of days ago, and I can't quite get it right, but it was a few years ago that our family went to a local theme park with some extended family who were in town for the holidays, and, and we were excited to spend time with family, even though if you go to a theme park, you know like you're going to spend 80% of the time waiting in line. I mean, that, that's like 80% of the time. You're just going to wait in line, and so when you're in line, you, you try to find things to do. I mean, I, you've tried to find games to play, or you pull out your phone, and you're, you're looking at things, whatever it is, but, but while we were in line, and one of the line rides that we were on, I decided I was just going to start observing the folks around me. You know, just people watching, just watching folks, seeing how people interact, and it's just interesting what you see in a theme park, but one thing I did not expect to see was a fanny pack. This was about six, seven years ago, and, and, and we're sitting at the theme park, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm looking, and I'm thinking, I haven't seen a fanny pack in I don't know how long. And, and so I'm trying to rack my mind. If, if you don't know what a fanny pack is, it's like a, a little purse that you wear around your waist or your, or your shoulders. I don't know what, what you do with a fanny pack. I have no idea. But it's apparently very practical. You can hold all kinds of things. You can hold your money, your keys. You can pack a lunch in the fanny pack. I mean, the fanny pack was like the ultimate in practicality. But of course, it kind of went out of style at some point. I don't know when that was or how that happened. But I look at this person, I see them with a fanny pack, and, and they don't look like they're out of style. Like, they don't look like me. They, they look like they know what they're doing. And so I lean over to my wife, and I say, are, are fanny packs back? And my wife, who knows these things, she said, oh yes, fanny packs are back. And I went home, I looked it up. There's men's fanny packs, women's fanny packs. There's, there's designer fanny packs. You can get your sports team on a fanny pack. All, all kinds of fanny packs, they are back. Once was out, now it's in. 
right? Once it was something no one wanted to do with, now, now the fanny pack is in. I mean, isn't that how fashion usually works? There's things like that in all throughout our culture. There's things that were in in the 60s and now they're back. There's things that were in in the 80s and now they're back. It's, it's kind of this in and out, in and out. That's the rhythm in our culture for so many things. And one of those things in our time, in this cultural moment, is rest. I mean, if you haven't noticed, in just the last few years, maybe five, ten years, especially in the last two years, rest has made a comeback. Rest is in style. Ten years ago, it was more of a hustle culture. And you were going to work hard, and you're going to do your best, and you're going to give your life to your job, and you're going to excel in your career. That was the message of the culture. And now, over time, especially since the pandemic, when the whole world shut down and you start to realize your life isn't just about your job, now it's swung the other way, and everyone's talking about rest. There's new terms like quiet quitting. You know, people are talking about my job isn't my whole life. And so if you're not going to pay me to work these jobs or these hours, I'm just going to work the hours you've paid me to work. Or there's people talking in the secular business world about sabbaticals, using a term from the Bible. Because people are tired, they're burned out, they're anxious. Rest is on the lips of our culture But the question is, what kind of rest? What kind of rest are we talking about? What kind of rest are we longing for? Because just because something is, uh, you know, popular doesn't mean it's biblical. Just because something's in the culture doesn't mean it's what we should embrace, right? And so what is the rest that that God is offering to us? What what is the rest that we find in the scriptures? That's what I want to look at today. We're continuing this series in the Gospel of Mark. We've been calling it The Way, The Way. And, And we're really looking at the first half of Mark to start with. And the first half of Mark really asks this question, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Because the whole, the whole group of people that are around Jesus, they're starting to ask this question. The more Jesus talks, the more he heals, the more he interacts with people. They're starting to ask, who is Jesus? Because he doesn't, he doesn't quite fit into their little box. right? He doesn't quite fit into their cultural box. He doesn't quite fit into their religious box, their political box. He doesn't quite fit. And so every time they think they've got Jesus pinned down, he does something that throws them off. And so they keep asking, who is this that we are interacting with? And one of those things is his approach to rest. See, the Sabbath, their day of rest in their culture, was was on the highest list of priority. You could say that in ancient Palestine, the Sabbath was in style. Like the the idea of resting on the Sabbath was, was this thing that had grown to such importance, such significance, that it became the measuring stick of their culture. If, if you rested rightly, you were in. If you did not rest rightly, you were out. And so it was, it was the measuring stick in their culture of if you were really truly a follower of God. And so Jesus comes into that kind of cultural moment where the Sabbath has this place and he challenges their assumptions, and he speaks to a deeper rest. And so that's what I want to look at this morning, this way of rest that only Jesus can provide, and he does. And so let's look first at the danger. We're going to call it legalistic rest. 
If you're taking notes this morning, number one, legalistic rest. Look at verse 23, how the story begins. It goes on to say, One Sabbath, he, Jesus, was going through the grain fields, and they made their, or at, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Now pause there for a moment. The rabbis, who were the teachers in their culture, they, they had basically constructed this rule book, if you will. They had put together this rule book where there were 39 classes of work. 39 classes of work that if you did these things on the Sabbath, it was considered profaning the Sabbath. And there's things on this list that you would think should not be on anyone's list, but things like this, loosening a knot, sewing more than one stitch. You better use that stitch wisely. (laughs) Writing more than one letter. Uh, setting a dislocated foot. That was on the list. If you dislocated your foot, you had to wait till the next day. Repairing a fallen roof unless someone was underneath it. Like, these are the things that were on the list. And so, it, I mean, the religious leaders created this long list with 39 different classes on the list. And in this list, they, they tried real hard to create a rule book for how to rest. But of course, that rule book was anything but restful, right? It, it was not restful for the people around them. And so one day, Jesus and his disciples, they're walking through the grain, or the grain fields, and they're headed towards another uh, city that they were going to go share the gospel. And it was a long, hot uh, walk as they're walking through it. And so they're tired, they're thirsty, they're hungry, and they're not quite to their destination, and so they decide they're going to start plucking some grain heads from the fields, which, by the way, was allowable. In Deuteronomy chapter 23, God sets up this system called gleaning, where the poor and the hungry could come along and they could glean on the edges of your farm, and everyone in Israel, they were supposed to allow for that. Basically, they were saying, we're going to make room in our budget, make room in our life for people who are in need, and so it was a principle of mercy. And so here they are, these disciples who were living in poverty with Jesus, following Jesus with no resources or very little resources, and they're hungry. And so they eat what is provided for them. They weren't breaking the Sabbath. They weren't doing anything that was against the Bible, but they were breaking their traditions. And so the religious leaders, they see this as an opportunity to expose Jesus to expose Jesus for who they thought he was, which is a fraud. And so they think if they can show the other people that Jesus really doesn't care about the law, he doesn't really care about the traditions, then we can get people to stop following this Jesus. But he never breaks the Sabbath. He's always faithful. He just exposes what they were about. Do do you hear their anger and suspicion? I mean, for them, the, the Sabbath was, was this measuring stick of spirituality. If, if you measured up to it by keeping the Sabbath, you were good, you were in. But if you didn't keep all the rules in the playbook, then you were out. And so they flipped the Sabbath. That, that's not what the Sabbath was designed for. God designs the Sabbath, listen, for liberation, to set them free. And here they they are making the Sabbath into something it was never designed to be, bondage. See, God gives the Sabbath to Israel when they were in bondage. That They were coming out of Egypt for 400 years. They didn't have a day off. 
For 400 years, they were treated like property. For 400 years, they were, they were treated as just a hired hand that they didn't care what happened to them. And then God comes along and he says, I'm going to give you this gift, Sabbath. It's not a burden for you. It's a gift to you. And what the religious leaders had done was taken that gift and flipped it into a burden. And when it became legalistic, it was now restless, right? Legalism will always leave you restless, restless. There's a classic film. I don't even know what year it came out, but Chariots of Fire. Chariots of Fire, where it, uh, it portrays these two athletes who are competing in the 1924 Olympic Games and one of them, Eric Liddell, is a Christian, and, and he refuses to run on the Sabbath. And so uh, because he refuses to run, he loses his chance to get the gold medal that he was favored in this race. But the real point of the movie, the real crux of the movie, is this comparison between him and the other athlete whose name is Harold. And Harold was racing or, or trying to race just as hard as Eric. They're both competing, they're both working as hard as they possibly can, but the contrast comes in the motivation behind their work. See, Harold, in one scene, he, he's speaking about the sprint event, uh, sprint event coming up, and he says this, he says, I've got 10 seconds to justify my existence. I've got 10 seconds to justify my existence. In other words, I'm racing to prove myself and to prove to everybody else that I am worthy. And then you contrast that with Eric, the other athlete, and he famously says to his sister, he says, God made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. In other words, Eric was saying, I'm not racing to earn God's pleasure. I'm not racing to prove myself. I don't, I'm not racing so that other people will see this. I'm already accepted by God. And so I am racing just because he is pleased with me. In other words, Harold was weary even when he was rested. Eric was rested even when he was running. Even when he was running. Here's why. Tim Keller, the author uh, who speaks about this story, he says, there's a work underneath our work that we really need rest from. It's the work of self-justification. There's a work underneath our work. It's the work of self-justification. What do I mean by that? It means that even rest can make you restless. Even your rest, that you're trying to slow down and stop and, and you're trying to do something can still make you restless. Here's how. Sabbath can make you restless when it, it, it's work based not on grace, but on guilt. When it's based on guilt, right? It, it's just another way to feel guilty. I was talking to someone this morning and they were saying that they were talking to their counselor and, and the counselor said, if there's not a way to feel guilty, I will find a way to feel guilty, right? That, that's what all of us do. We will take a gift from God like Sabbath and we'll, we'll make it into another way to feel guilty. How does that happen? Well, you might ask, well, what, what do I do? How, how, does that, how does that work in my life? Well, here, here's a couple ways that it's worked in my own life, and, and let's see if it, if, if it uh, resonates with you. God somehow loves me more because I've figured out how to make my life orderly and structured, and, and I've figured out how to get some rest into my life. 
And so when, when I'm resting and when I'm doing my devotions and when I'm praying and when I'm going to church and when I'm seeking God in this restful Sabbath environment, I feel God's pleasure. But when I'm not, I feel guilty. I feel distant. I feel unworthy. I feel ashamed. I look at other people and I think, I wish I could live like them and I wish I could be disciplined like this person and I wish I could do what that person's doing and I start comparing myself and somehow this gift of Sabbath is no longer a gift. It's just guilt. It's guilt. Listen, what what God designed the Sabbath for is not for you to feel worse, but to set you free. It's designed to set you free. And so if you've spent six days uh, being lazy and, and you don't feel like, you know, I've earned the right to rest, God says Sabbath is for you. And if you've spent six days working as hard as you can and overworking and, and you feel like I still have to work more because I just can't do as much as I need to, he says Sabbath is for you. It's not about the other six days. He's saying, this is a gift you don't earn. It's grace. It's renewal, not reward. And so our legalism really reveals uh, what we love, what we really deeply love. The Bible calls it idolatry. What's idolatry? Idolatry is when you make a good thing, in this case, Sabbath, into a God thing. It goes from being something that God has gifted to you for your enjoyment and your flourishing to now this is something that I'm going to elevate to the status of I'm going to worship it. And that that can take all kinds of forms, right? It can be this idol of of approval that I want to make sure when I do Sabbath and when I do rest that I put it on Instagram so everybody can see it. Right? I, I want to make sure everybody sees how restful my life is and how, how diligent I am in my devotions or whatever it is. Right, You're seeking the approval of people by saying, this, this is what I'm really doing. I'm really worshiping approval. Or you can make it about control and, and Sabbath becomes this, you know, for the type A folks, it's like I, I got to do this and this and this and this. And, and it's so structured, there's no joy. You're trying to control and control. And there's so many things. But, but what happens in Sabbath is it really reveals what you love. It reveals your heart. Because when you slow down to rest or you try to slow down to rest, you start to realize all these competing things. All the things that are pulling on your heart. Your job, your family, your spouse, your friends, your, your health. All these things. You slow down and you start to really see this, this is my life. And so Sabbath starts to bring those things to the surface. And what do you do? What, what do you do when that happens? What helps us is loving. It's love, actually. And this is the second point. Look, look at what Jesus says. This is loving rests. Look at his response to the Pharisees. I love this. In verse 25, he says, Have you never read what David did? I love that. Have you never read the Bible? Jesus is great. Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him? 
Again, Jesus is speaking to these religious experts. Of course they'd read the Bible. They they had memorized the Old Testament. That's what their requirement was to do the job that they were doing. And so he's speaking to these people saying, you've read it, but you haven't read it. You've missed it. And he starts to refer to this story about David when David was on the run. David was being pursued by the king Saul. And David was kind of in between where he had been anointed to be king, but he he hadn't been... uh, brought into that position yet. And so David or Saul was trying to kill David and David's on the run for his life. And as David's on the run, he, uh, he's running with these, these men and they're, they're kind of out in this place. They're hungry, they're hiding, they're tired. And they decide they're going to go to the tabernacle to get some food. And they show up to the tabernacle, the house of God, and the priest is there. And they say, we're hungry. Can you give us anything? And the priest says, I don't have any bread. All I have is the bread on the altar, which was called the bread of the presence. And no one's supposed to eat the bread of the presence except the high priest. And yet they eat it. In other words, they break the law. And what Jesus is doing in telling the story, he's saying in, in this case where, where mercy was needed, where love was needed, the, the law of love triumphs over the law of legalism. And so this is what Jesus says in response to that. Right after he tells that story or references that story in verse 27, he says, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Jesus is saying, you, you've taken the letter of the law and you've missed the whole point. You flipped it on its head. You, you thought the Sabbath was meant to keep you in bondage. You thought the Sabbath was meant to, to keep you in your place and to keep you regimented and regulated. But that is not the purpose of the Sabbath. He says the Sabbath is for your flourishing. The Sabbath is for your freedom. It, it's for your healing. It's for your rejoicing. The Sabbath is for you, not you for the Sabbath. In other words, what he's saying is Sabbath isn't about rules at all. It's about reorientation. It's about orienting your heart towards something else, something new. After Jesus makes this statement, uh, he walks into church. He goes into the synagogue in Mark chapter 3, right after this passage. And it's still the Sabbath. It's the same day. Jesus walks into the synagogue, and, and there in the synagogue is a man with a disabled hand. And the Pharisees, who had just made this accusation about him, are there at church. They're They're there in the assembly. And they start watching Jesus because it's the Sabbath and they know Jesus is going to break some rules and they want to catch him. And so they, it's, it's like a setup. They, they know Jesus is going to do something wrong. We want to witness it so we can testify against him. So they're watching him closely. And Jesus knows this about them. They, they know that they're there to trap him. They know that their intentions are bad or he knows that their intention is bad. And so Jesus calls the man forward the man with the disabled hand, because they're not treating him like a human being. They're treating him like an object in their pawn, in in their game. And so he calls the man forward so that they can see him. They can see him as a real person. And he looks over at them and he says this. He says, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? See, Jesus is confronting head-on their obsession with legalism. He's saying, you're you're asking the wrong question. You're, You're asking, is it lawful? And what you should be asking is, is it loving? Is it loving? And then they're silent. There's no words. 
There's no response. And then Jesus turns to the man uh, with the disabled hand and he says to him this. He says, stretch out your hand. And then he heals him. The Sabbath was for him. They were for themselves. The Sabbath was for him. It was for his wholeness, for his healing, for his salvation. And they were for themselves. It was meant to reorient, to reshape. See, idols can't be removed without being replaced. We have to love something. All of us. We, we have to love something. God has designed us to love something. And so that something might be our love, our idol of approval or control or pleasure or comfort or whatever it is. But, but if we're going to get rid of that thing that we love, that idol that we worship, we have to then replace it with something else. And here's the opportunity of Sabbath. Sabbath is not just an opportunity to reveal what we love. But it gives us the opportunity to reorient our love towards what it's supposed to be. See, Sabbath rest reorients our heart, inviting us to see God again, inviting us to to see people again, inviting us to see what's around us, to slow down and take our eyes off of ourselves, to, to see for ourselves that the Sabbath really is for our healing. The Sabbath really is for our wholeness. It really is for our flourishing. So how do we do that? What does that look like? Well, first, it means being present with God, being present with God. You have to slow down long enough to say, God, help me to see you. Help help me to notice you. It's not that God isn't there. It's not that God isn't already working. It's that we're moving so fast, so concerned with all the wrong things that we don't notice him. And so Sabbath is the opportunity in our busyness of our week, in the, in the chaos of our family, and in, in the stress of our job, whatever it is, it's to slow down and say, God, help me to notice you. And that may be a time of prayer. It may be a time of scripture. It may be just to sit down and to journal. It may be to have a conversation about that, whatever it is. But you're slowing down and saying, God, I want to see you. How have you worked in my life throughout this past six days? How have I needed your forgiveness and you've been faithful? How have you provided when I was stressed? How have I seen you at work? So that's the first thing. You slow down, you see God. The second thing is you slow down and you be present with people. People. The Sabbath is, is communal by nature. It's not meant to be just me and God by myself in isolation. It's meant to be a feast. The Sabbath was a feast every Friday night in the Jewish community. And you would invite people over. You would have friends and family and you would party. I mean, this, this was a celebration with people. And so let it be some type of that for you. But let it be a day where you can slow down and not only see God, but see others. People that maybe you know they're struggling. People that you know they're going through a hard time in their marriage or, or work has really got them uh, exhausted or, or they just need a friend to hear uh, what's going on in their life. You, you need to reach out to somebody and just say, hey, would you want to come over for dinner or you want to join us for lunch or can I take you out to coffee? Whatever it may be, but you're with people. You notice people. Because Sabbath is designed to reorient our hearts, to reorient towards God and to reorient towards people. Author Pete Scazzaro, he, he tells this story that I've told a few times, but it's worth telling every year. But he says uh, in, in about 100 years ago in, in the Midwest, farmers 
would use this tactic in the, in the winter months where they would tie a rope from the house out to the barn. And this is because they would often deal with these sudden blizzards where kind of out of the blue, there would be these fierce sudden blizzards and, and they would be so fierce that literally you would walk in your own yard and you couldn't see your hand in front of your face. And so if you walked outside to go check on the animals on the farm, you would be uh, you know, kind of stuck because you didn't know how to get back to the house. And, and often people would kind of get lost and they would circle around in their own backyards. And sometimes if they stayed out too long, they would die freezing to death on their own property. And so they came up with this tactic of tying a rope from the house to the barn. And the rope served the purpose of keeping them oriented back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. So they knew where to go when they couldn't see. When all the chaos was disorienting them, they could hold on to the rope and they knew how to get to where they were going and how to get back. This, this is what God has designed the Sabbath for. It's, the Sabbath is that rope in your life. It's to keep you oriented towards God and to orient towards people. It's to get you moving in the direction of God when life is chaotic and life is falling apart and, and it doesn't feel like you can even see in front of your face because there's so much going on. You can slow down and you can say, I know how to get to God. I at least know how to get to God. And I know how to get to the friends that I need to care for me. And I know how to reorient myself and my heart towards the things that really should be my loves. The Sabbath is designed to find our way back to God and to others, this Lord of rest. And this is what Jesus says at the end. Uh, this is our last point, and we'll close. The Lord of rest. Look at Jesus' radical claim in verse 28. Look at what he says. The Son of Man, he, so he says, So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Even of the Sabbath. I love that Jesus says that because he knew their hearts. He knew that in their culture... There was a, a ladder of all the most important things, and at the top of the ladder was the Sabbath. And so he's saying that he is Lord even of the Sabbath. You, you've got some other things that you might be Lord of, but, but this is like the highest of the things that you could be Lord of. And what Jesus is doing when he says this is really he's making a claim that's greater than anything you might imagine. Because in Genesis chapter 2, God establishes the Sabbath. And so Jesus is saying, I'm Lord even of the Sabbath, the thing that God established, which means I'm God. I am the Lord. This is what Jesus is saying. He isn't just saying that I can make some advice or I, I can tell you to do this or that. I am your Lord, Lord over your time, Lord over your work, Lord over your rest, Lord over it all, because I am Lord of the Sabbath and I'm going to express my lordship in my love. See, Sabbath points to this greater love by a greater Lord. This was the beginning of the end for Jesus. Right here in Matthew chapter 2, this was the beginning that eventually will get Jesus killed. The religious leaders right after this scene in the synagogue, they start to plot to kill Jesus from the very beginning because no one can claim to be Lord over my idols. No one can claim to be Lord over my life. No one can claim to have authority over all the things that I hold dearly and worship and love and so Jesus must die. 
Jesus has to die. See, there's, there's this gospel exchange happening in both stories. It's Jesus' life for the man's healing, and it's Jesus' reputation for the disciples' eating. It's, it's always Jesus for us. He's always taking our place. He's, he's always stepping in to be our substitute. And so this exchange that's happening in the story will eventually lead to Jesus' exchange on the cross. See, as Jesus hangs on the cross, he's, he's hanging there and his stripes were for our sins. His nakedness was for our shame. His nails were for our freedom. Right? No Lord has ever loved us like this. And yet Jesus says, I am Lord even over the Sabbath meaning I'm Lord over everything. I'm Lord not only over creation, not only over your rest, but I'm Lord over sin. I'm Lord over death. I'm, I'm Lord over suffering. I'm Lord over everything in your life. And the way I show my Lordship is I'm going to give my life. I'm going to give my life for you to be free. See, there, there's an exchange that happens here that doesn't just give you forgiveness. It gives you a whole new status. You're free people. You have freedom. See, once we were slaves to our idols, but now we're free to worship God. Once we were slaves to our legalism, but now we are free to love again. Once we were slaves to our works, but now we're free to this rest that he gives us in fullness, right? What Jesus is saying by saying, I'm Lord, that's going to give my life for you. He's saying, I'm going to give you a whole new status. You're going to be free. You're going to be free from all the bondage, both the bondage that you have in sin and the bondage you have in your legalism. I'm going to set you free to be free people. No more bondage, just freedom. There's a movie back in 1994 called The Shawshank Redemption. Maybe you've seen it. And there's a character, Red Redding, who is played by Morgan Freeman, and uh, Red Redding had spent 40 years in prison. And he had committed a kind of a senseless act of violence in, as a, a teenager when he was young. And, and he had spent the majority of his life now in prison. And he spent so much time in prison that he kind of grew into being this wise old man who would show people the ropes and he would help people kind of figure out how to get uh, through the, their days and, and mentor people. And, and he kind of became this wise old man who, who took care of folks in the prison. And then one day he, just, he realizes that he's going to get his freedom and, and he gets set free. And uh, when, he's, when the day finally comes that he's able to leave the prison, he realizes something that he did not expect. He starts to struggle. He starts to struggle because he he can't get past all the, the habits and, and the, the things that had formed him in prison. He, he had been so ingrained in, in asking permission to go to the bathroom. And he had, he had been so ingrained to kind of lower himself among other people. And, and he had just realized that he had become so institutionalized because of his time in prison that he didn't even know how to act in freedom. Because people were making decisions for him and people were structuring his life and his life and his, his schedule were, were ordered and all these things. And when he gets out of this bondage, he realizes something was even more terrifying than the bondage. It was freedom. It was freedom. He realized he was so familiar with bondage, he didn't know how to live free. He didn't know what it meant to be liberated. 
He didn't know what it meant to live in that restful spirit that he had longed for. Listen, there's, there's a difference. There's, there's two very different realities between being free and living free. Being free and living free. And some of us have been living in bondage to legalism for so long. Living in bondage to, to our works righteousness and our self-righteousness and our, our attempts to prove ourselves and to make ourselves pleasing before God. We've been living in that so long, we don't know how to live free even though we are free. I want you to know today, you are free people. You are, hear the gospel declaration of your freedom. Hear what the king of eternity sent down for your new status. You are forgiven in the grace of Jesus. You are free in the faithfulness of God. You are alive in the hope of eternity. You are resting in the mercy of God. You are secure in the love of a greater Lord. A greater Lord. That's who you are. Jesus says, I am Lord of the Sabbath so that you can rest, so that you can be free. And so as we close today, I just want to ask you, are you living in that kind of freedom? Are you living in that kind of rest? And maybe you're here this morning and and you're new to, to understanding faith and you're trying to explore what it means to follow Jesus and I want to just say to you this morning, if, if you have this, this concept of what it means to follow Jesus, is that you become a, a diligent, stringent, uh, angry person who's full of rules and regulations, you're missing the point. The, the hope of the gospel, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus has done all the work for you. He is Lord. We, we are not. And he comes to live this life for us, to to liberate us from the burden of having to live a perfect life so that we can be forgiven and have newness of life, but then to be set free, to be set free to flourish in his grace. That's the good news of the gospel. And he says, all you do is is not work, you, you receive. You receive, you trust in me and all the work that I've done, and you will have that rest. And that we as believers, we we get to live that out. We get to live in the fullness and the flourishing of what God has for us. And Sabbath is that gift to remind us every single time, I don't work to earn. I work because he's earned it. I work because he approves. I work out of my rest. I don't work for rest. The work that he did has earned it all for me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would work your work into us. Help us to believe. Help us to trust. Help us to know and and to rest in all that you've done on our behalf. May we believe that it's not our works, but it's our job to just simply receive, to enjoy, to rest in who you are. Or may the Sabbath be a gift to us not an opportunity to once more prove ourselves or an opportunity to once more feel guilty. But Lord, help us to to let rest and resting in you be an opportunity to love, to reorient ourselves towards you, to reorient our hearts towards those around us who are in need so that we don't miss them, so that we don't look past them and see uh, 
what we think should be happening, but we, we really see how you are at work, not only in us, but in them. Open our eyes to yourself and to your love and to your grace in us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.